0: Well, we are back here again. Alan Cornett, pharmaceutical consultant for International Chemical Laboratories, and Gene Shepard. And we're going to take a few calls right now on 489-1155, 489-1155. We do have uh, a few ground rules that are rather simple. I do not use a springer. In other words, when you hear my voice on the telephone, you know that you are on the air. And please turn your radio off when I'm talking to you. And you can talk with Alan Carnett or Gene Shepherd. And the number is 489-1155. 489-1155. May I remind you that uh, Candy will be with me Monday morning. At 4.30 to 5.30, this is our second show, and uh, I was delighted with the response we got, even from management here, which was pretty good, and uh, also from the listeners. And we'll make the offer for that uh, bumper sticker again, which we do only on that show from 4.30 to 5.30. In fact, uh, Mr. Fairchild, who is vice president and who does the morning show, they have indicated that there is a possibility that we might be doing that each day. And uh, I hope you're listening. You know, the station signs off the air on Sunday night, which is technically a Monday morning at one o five. And uh, we start up now at 4.30 to 5.30, followed by Ken Fairchild. Right here, Radio 57. WMCA, in New York. We'll take our first call right now. Hi there, this is Long John.
1: Yes, I'd like to speak to uh, Mr. Shepard.
0: And he's listening to you. Go right ahead.
1: Uh, Mr. Shepard. Yes. I'm a graduate student uh, interested in American humor. I will be writing um, my master's thesis and probably a good part of my doctoral thesis
0: on... um, Writers such as George Aide, and I've listened to your reading of George Aide. No, I'm not interested in helping you on that. No, no, I'm not talking about. Well, uh, I just want to have you yourself written anything um, of a of a. Um, um, oh, I guess i uh, thinking of, of in, in an academic way about American humorists or about George Aide. I, I would be very. Um, you know, that's. Uh, I, I accept your question, uh, but as a working humorist, I notice you've never asked me about my work. No, uh, well, I'm only allowed by the by the by the bounds of, of the paper uh. to 19th century writers. Oh, I dig. Well, all right. Yes, I have written a. Uh, on him. Yes, on the, him. Um, oh, any any. Uh, I'm interested. You know, say Bret Hart. Yeah. All right, all right. Uh, I'll answer your question. Yes, uh, I did a, a an anthology of George Aide. I worked a couple of years on it. it's a pretty good anthology. I think it's uh, was published by Putnam and Son, and also the paperback edition came out. Uh, you yeah, read the the introduction. Well, that's all I've written about George Aide. And anything about uh, that 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 um, no. class of writing? Or that no. Experience? No. Well, oh, thank you. Thank you very thank much. You very much. Sir. Hi there. May I help you? Hi, Long John. Yes, I sir. Mention, I heard you mention the Farber show and what happened on it last night. I happen to have been listening. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, what happened was that they had this conversation had gotten around to communist tactics in general and politics before forth. I guess Joe McCarthy. Huh? Well, you see, the the, the uh the, the thing was that they had been discussing what went on in uh, Vietnam and and these uh, vis the communist type tactics either call go without to with your brains out uh, right. but the uh the, the point was that uh john stessinger was the fellow the fellow who wrote the book uh russia china america nations in darkness and uh you know and uh, what happened was that uh uh mr stessinger said i hold no brief with uh violence i hold a brief with release kind of tactics but the fact of the matter is that uh the Chinese uh for uh, for the first time in hundred years do have a sense of national pride, a sense of national service, whereupon Mr. Grossman interjected and you are in sympathy with a communist cause or something like that. And uh, there was another uh interruption and Mr. just said, uh you, I, uh you appear to have the same tact or reasonable faculty of the late Just uh late Joseph McCarthy. Whereupon Mr. Grossman became incensed and said that he was a victim of Joseph McCarthy, which uh, doesn't doesn't excuse it because really uh people who hit their who hit their children develop children who hit their hit in wait, wait a people. minute. You're, you're you're editorializing now. Who no, said No 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 I no I'm saying uh, what I'm saying is uh I I I don't feel no, that tell I'm, us tell us what happened. Yeah, right. Well no that's that's true. That's true. That 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 so whereupon Mr Grossman got up and said, You've been insulting me you've been insulting me all night uh, I no. What he said was this Uh, I demand an apology and I demand it right now and then there was a lot of scuffling and shouting and uh, Mr. Brand who was on the show said quotation I want to inform the listeners that Mr. Grossman has just just attempted to grab Mr. Stessinger by the throat gee I can't imagine uh, Marty doing that well, you know, uh, I think it's a pretty good argument. He's a rather small man. Well, you know, that's what happens when a person is in a moment of rage. I, I suppose. suppose so. Yes. Well, can I address the question to Gene? Mm-hmm. You yeah. certainly may. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, Mr. Shepard, I wonder if you've ever addressed yourself to the problem of people who are so enamored of your work that they think they can tell a story as well as you can. Oh, they're constantly... Hearing. Oh, I, I had one from New York, all the way from Indiana to New York one time. That killed me. But at any rate, it's nice talking with you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you very much. Hi, there. Out there. 489-1155. Yes, is this the Lenton, Yes, ma'am. And you are on the air. Okay. Uh, Longtime. time? Yes, ma'am. This is the first time that I've ever been on your show, and I've listened to you since I was about 22, it's about 20 years now. Mm Mm-hmm. And, um, although you're not on the subject now, I would like to know, have you read the book, Child of the Gods? No, but I know of it. I have not read it, ma'am. It's been a long time since, uh, I've heard you discuss anything in terms of, uh, Ace Man or... Uh, beings from out of space. Well, there's not as many Venusians and Martians arriving on this planet <laughs> as they used to. <laughs> okay. Uh, to say to that. But um, I would like to discuss uh, Von Daniken's book because I had the pleasure of meeting Emmanuel Velikovsky, I think his name is. Yes. Who wrote World collision I know. Uh, at Staten Island Community College we had a meeting there and I was one of the fortunate students to be invited to an open seminar. And, um, uh, Van Donneken mentions him in his book, in which he, uh... But well, well, dear, uh, right. may I may I just interrupt you? Yes. I'm sorry to do so, yes. but we're rather fortunate to have Mister Shepherd with us tonight, Mister Cornett, yes. and I think I would be grossly unfair to get involved in a discussion with you about some other book when well, we have the well known author Mister Shepherd here. Right, is yes, Mister? Right. I don't want. I don't mean to. Uh, uh, Mr. Shepard's feelings. The I don't think you'd, you'd hurt his feelings. Ma'am. No, except as you're way off the subject, that's all. Yeah. But I know that Mr. Cornette mm. is uh, a scientist to a certain degree. Well, I, dear, again, as I say, we do have Mr. Shepard here as our guest tonight, and I sincerely hope that you'll call us again some other night when we're taking general calls. Will you do that, please? Okay. Thank you very Thank you much. Time. Hi there, may I help you? Hello, Long Joe? Yes, sir, you're on the air. Uh, I'd like to ask Mr. Shepard, uh, if, as a general rule, isn't uh, from a sales standpoint, a disadvantage in a book coming out initially as a paperback rather than coming out first as... You mean in competition with the hardcover at the same time? No, uh, coming out straight as a paperback with no hardcover at all. Mr. Shepard. Well, actually, first of all, if you, if you bring your book out in paperback to begin with, that automatically says that you're not going to have your book in any libraries. Uh, your book will not be part of the, well, you might say the library curriculum, which is to say that uh, you're automatically saying, I'm, I'm, uh, you know, I should be sold in bus stations and that's all. If, uh, if you're content with that as a writer and you're worried only about profits, It all depends on whether or not you can work a good deal with a with a paperback publisher. But uh, primarily, uh, only only writers writers who are essentially pulp writers, hack writers, will consent to have their work come out uh, purely Uh, as a paperback. Uh, And the reason I asked, I I'm really concerned with the fact that a a book I think is fantastic, called The Immortalist by Alan Harrington, Uh, hasn't seemed to have been very popular. And I think it came out initially as a paperback, and I was wondering why in the world he he might do that. I have no idea. You'd have to ask his agent. Uh, are you familiar with that book? No. Uh, fantastic. and no, uh, sir, are, are you familiar with, you with mine? <laughs> okay. <laughs> hi, Thank you. Hi there, man. Help you. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, Shapo. Yeah, all right. What's <laughs> up, Yeah, all right.
1: Oh, come on. What's the answer?
0: I have no idea. Yeah, a bottle. Oh, is that right? Ah, yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, I've been listening to you since
0: the mid '50s. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What I that I, I bought your book, uh, your uh, thing about George A. You know. I have that one, and I think uh, you know. Uh, I've read your stuff in Playboy magazine. I think you're a brilliant writer. It's all, it's all praise, yeah, yeah. Fifteen minutes of praise, right. Well I it kind of <laughs> right. Well no, I mean, uh, I'm delighted. Uh, do you have any questions though? Yeah, I'd like to ask you, uh, this uh, this question. What would you like to really like to be? I mean, wouldn't you like to be an actor or a writer or I mean you've done all these things. I like to do them all. I, I don't wanna if if you were to ask me to give up any one of the things Yeah. Uh, I would be unhappy because I like to do all of them. It's yeah. Like, is there any one thing you want to do more than the others? No, I I wouldn't say that. Uh, I can't say it because uh, when I act, I I enjoy it immensely. When I'm playing, uh, as a do you comic, know when you do the best, Gene? What's that? My radio show. Do you know? No, no, not your radio show. I just said that. No, telling no, truth no, no. You do something that nobody else does, and you know you know it. You're smart enough to know it. You're the world's only, not the best, you're the world's only monologist. Well, thank you. Uh they're... No, no, thank you. I mean, Henry Morgan said,
1: when he was working on his, you know, Henry Morgan is not a guy to give praise, right? Yeah. And I heard him one time, and he said, "Well, I'm working on my toy trays, and I listen to Gene Shepard, he thinks he's an
0: entertainer, but I listen to him. And that, you know, I mean, you are the world's only monologist. Nobody can do what you do. When you get there before that microphone, and you do your thing, and you give your little story, and you, I don't know what the hell you do. You're just brilliant. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. No, no. No, I'm, I'm just thanking you. I'm, not, right? praising you. Yeah. I'm not praising you. I'm not praising you. You do something which nobody else does. I think you said that just before. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, like, Gene, you know, you know, other people write short stories, right? Yes, I do. Right, and other people play on the stage. Correct. Who the hell else delivers monologues the way you do with the limelight? I have tapes of that. I have about... I'll tell you one man who equals Shepard No Pierre Coilet Who the hell is that? Well, then you really don't know what yeah. you're talking Nobody about Nobody equals you. <laughs> Pierre Coilet <laughs> Brilliant Brilliant man, brilliant man. Yeah, Thank brilliant. you Hi there May I help you? Hello Long John Yes I hear you on the way Hold on a minute I'll hold on sir Yes Hello Long John Yes sir
1: uh, congratulations on your wedding.
0: Thank you, sir, very much.
1: And uh, I want to ask you one question. Do you remember we were talking about that fellow uh, brought the potatoes from the moon? Yes. Well, that's how moon riding started.
0: Good for you, sir. <laughs> Thank you very much. Very good line. May I help, help you? It? Yes, uh, I'd like to talk to uh, Gene Trevor. And he's listening to you. Go right he, ahead. By the way, I'm calling from an FM station, which we're going on named I'm the combination man here, and I was listening on a little AM radio. Uh-huh. Um... Good. Shepard, sure, I have an album of Hank Snow reading the poetry of Robert Service. It's terrible. Uh, I know that. But that's the question uh, that I have for you. Is there any chance of you coming out with an album with your linky-tink piano music behind it, reading the poetry of Robert Service, as you've done in the past on your show? I have not been approached by a record company to do that. That would be an incredible thing, though. I mean, you've got to do it. Well, you've uh, got to. talk to Mercury? Mercury? Uh, any of them talk to capital, and I'd be delighted because I, I think that's what has to be done I mean, I, that's I'd... a terrible album I've heard that he he reads uh, he reads uh, Robert's service the way uh, my dachshund would do uh, say uh, uh, Hamlet yeah I think he, he's missed the point of it but, uh, very I much so I, uh, most people who do read service miss the point of it they all play it like uh, they're reading Casey at the Bat. you know yeah Yeah, I mean, uh, I think your renderings of uh, service were just about uh, the most incredible and uh, the epitome of of the way it should be done, and uh, I'd really look forward to an album. By the way, I'm playing bluegrass music right now on FM. Excellent. I'm sorry that Mr. Snow is a fine, fine uh, C&W singer, but a terrible reader of poetry. Do you think there's a genuine chance of uh, putting pressure on Mercury or Capital or something to uh, get you to do something like that? Well, I couldn't do that but if you want to put pressure on I might be delighted. Well, all right, we'll try and put as much as we can. Get as many listeners as you have to your station to write into to Slate Records or Cow Flop Records. If you want to, well, I mean, that's a good c w label. Okay. And uh, see if we can get the ball rolling, right? Okay, so good luck with your book. Hang loose. Right. Let me remind you, this is Dialogue Radio 57, WMCA, right here in New York City. Hi there, may I help you? You're on the air.
1: Right. right. I've uh, reworked one of my telcos to write books now. And my telco is writing books it's doing movie shows.
0: Really? That's TV. good. Hi there. May I help you? Uh, hi, John. Yes, sir. I've never thought I'd be calling to come to the defense of uh, Alan Cornett. Yes. But uh, in this case, I I had to, had to. In
1: uh, In God We Trust, All Others pay Cash, in the chapter entitled... Leopold, Doppler, and the Great Orpheum Gravy Boat Riot, uh, the quote is as follows. Uh, three cowboy pictures featuring such luminaries as Roy Rogers, Bob Steele, and Ken Maynard. That's
0: correct. Uh,
1: and of course it also goes on... You
0: to fell me- into my trap. <laughs> I was hoping that somebody would would come out and and give a long call and involve himself in that whole issue and then uh, promote once more, in God we trust, all others pay cash. Well, I'm glad to do it. (laughs) No, uh, do you have the paperback or the the hardcover Uh, edition? This is the uh, the paperback. The current paperback. No, the uh, 67. I see. Uh, Well, it's a shame you didn't pick up one of those hardcover editions. (laughs) Do you know, Alan, that the hardcover edition of that which, incidentally, I do not have a copy of. It really bugs me. Uh, the first edition is now selling for about one hundred and seventy-five dollars on the collector's market. That's <laughs> remarkable. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, and I do I like a fool. I don't have a copy, can, you know, of, of the first edition of it. I have a hard cover, but not one of the first ones.
1: Uh, can I ask a question, Gene? Sure. Uh, now you've shattered all of my illusions. Now that you've mentioned your real father. Uh, <laughs> I you know really got to know these people and
0: uh... well that's fine I'm glad you you did and uh I, you know i've never i've always had problems with reviewers who seem to think my work because I do write in a very personal style is merely anecdotage of uh, reminiscence, which is not at all what it is uh that my actual background and my family life was nothing like what uh is in the books
1: well I've uh, received it with mixed
0: feelings now I respect you even more so as a writer now that I realize that Uh, as a a, a fiction author rather than just as a a, you know
1: a reminiscence
0: well you know if you'll notice on the front of In God We Trust I say that this is fiction and uh, the character Ralph Parker is to me he's, he's a classic American New York Cosmopolite, who has come from curious roots in the background, and he he goes back to his roots, and I was always, or his, you know, what he considers his roots, and I, and I was trying to draw the analogy between the country that exists out there in in, in the, you know the great country out there, wherever it is, whatever it is, and the people who have come to the urban world and become the communicators and the interpreters of that country. In other words, Ralph Parker, you notice, is a writer. Yes. And, and uh, he goes back, and he, com- he can't even communicate with Flick, uh, the bartender. Only, the only way they can communicate is by talking about their mutual past. Flick could never understand his Italian overcoat. Uh, and on the other hand, the, the Parker character could never understand Flick's involvement with the high school basketball team. They're two completely different worlds they live in now. And I, and I think that's what's happened to America. The only way that we can talk to each other is through the mythological Western. And so uh, Jane Fonda plays Indian, uh, of, of a non-existent Indian, by the way, of the 1820s. Uh, there's no way for us to talk any longer, that that the urban world has gotten so far away from the rest of the country that all we can do is, is to talk about our mutual past. That's why we have endless shows today on TV, TV about the Civil War, uh, about uh, the Indians and about the West, but very little about today. You have not yet seen a TV show about Gary, Indiana. I think that might have a, lot, a great deal to say about the
1: recent... Uh uh, elections and the failure of uh, of the McGovern campaign to communicate.
0: That's true. That's right. Uh, that, that McGovern is part of that uh, that that world of the of uh, I suppose you might say the the urban idea people. Even though he comes from South Dakota, and and he just doesn't uh, read the country. Either does Bella Abzug. Well, it was great talking to you, Jim. Thank you. Uh, Thank you, sir. Hi there. May I help uh, you? Yeah, good morning, Jack. Good morning. Uh, Mr. Shepard, yeah. I just wanted to know, is it true that the Times is thinking of assigning Victor Borga to do a review of... <laughs> <laughs> Where do they assign me to do a review of Victor Borga's concert?
1: I'm surprised you never really got into that on the
0: air. Oh, uh, because I'm, I'm a professional performer. Why should I get into something like that? That was an unbelievable show. I wasn't, he, uh, wasn't he a, uh, didn't he make an ass of himself? If
1: anyone ever deserved getting a microphone wrapped around his neck, that was the evening. No, uh, Mr.
0: John. Mr. Borga has a brass psyche. <laughs> uh, John. Yes, sir. If you have the record available, I think you could perform a great service for Gene by uh, playing a cut of that
1: kazoo uh, story heard last week.
0: Well, he knows it. That's David funny. Amram.
1: Because oh, I was thinking yep. in terms of consciousness raising. After hearing 18 uh, years of Shepherd on the Kazoo and hearing Amram, uh, you know, it's. Uh, I,
0: I know, know David Amram. He tends to be pontifical. <laughs> no, he's talking, you know, when he's playing the Kazoo. Yeah, he just discovered the Kazoo. It? He can't even play it. Um, I think he's terrible on it.
1: It's an interesting contrast, anyway,
0: between yeah. what, what I've been used to. Thank you. Okay, John. Bye-bye. Hi there. Hello? Yes, ma'am. John, Yes, ma'am. Oh, I wanted to ask a question. Um, I took. Would you turn your radio off, please? Oh, oh, yes. Thank you very much, dear. Thank you. I wanted to ask you, did you have another guest on earlier? I had taken two... Yes, we had for a... uh, I would say for about 25 minutes, we had Arnold Bergier, the sculptor. Oh, well, I must have heard wrong. I thought yesterday they said you were going to have some fellow by the name of Laval or... A name, something like that. Lobello. Oh. That's tonight at midnight. Oh, I see. And I wanted to ask one question. When a book is a great seller, mm-hmm. um, how is it that it can go right off the market all of a sudden? Well, I mean after a couple of years. Do you want to answer that, Jane? I, I don't quite understand your well, question. There's a book called uh, The Story Priest by Father Longo, and it was one of the greatest sellers when I came back from California here to New York. And um, you just can't get that book anyplace. Well, that's one of the mysteries of publishing. Uh, uh, it's it's quite true that most uh, bookstores today have kind of uh, abdicated their duty. They don't sell books. Most of them sell sweatshirts and uh, mother-in-law cards and funny sculptures. Uh, they sell ballpoint pens. And and so they only carry usually around the 10 or 12 leading bestsellers of that. And the minute a book drops off the leading top bestseller list, they don't carry it anymore. Oh, I see. I believe the book is available, ma'am, in in, uh, paperback. Well, uh, I don't think so, because I tried to get it, and I have friends who tried to get it at Scribner's and um, different uh, stores, you know, in the local neighborhood. May I ask you, what was the name of the author? Uh, Uh, Gabriel Longo. Oh, Gabriel Longo. Do you know where you can buy that book? No, I do You can buy it from Lyle Stewart. I beg your pardon? Lyle Stewart, Secaucus, New Jersey. Oh, is that L... How do you spell that, please? L... The Lyle Stewart? Lyle. L-Y-L-E. L-Y-L-E. Oh, I thought that's what you meant. That's right, ma'am. Oh, I used to enjoy listening to uh, Mr. Shepard. I think it was back around 58 or 59... Well, he's been around for a long time. He's been with uh W R right, right. since about <laughs> fifty four. All right. And and uh thank you for calling. I enjoyed this thing so very much. Right. Thank you, dear. Yeah. Right on. Hi there, may I help you? Yes. Hello? Hello. <laughs> um, I wanted to uh, say something to uh, Mr. Shepard. Yes, he's listening. Yeah. Um, Mr. Shepard, I um, watched your television uh, shows, you know, the trailer bit that you did, and I was really intrigued. I was wondering, is it very expensive to do that sort of thing? That show cost around $600,000. I don't mean the show. I mean, you know, traveling around the way you did. I have no idea that was oh. part of a show. I wasn't traveling as a tourist. <laughs> That's like calling up Marlon Brando and says, I see your latest movie was in Tokyo. Is it expensive to travel over there? <laughs> Talking about poetry, I miss you know the lights. You haven't, you haven't recited that in a long time. Uh Recited what? Northern Lights. The Northern Lights. Yeah. Well, I'll let you know when I do it the next time. Okay. Fine, thank you. Thank you. Hi there, may I help you? Oh. Now, you know we can't let that go on the air. Mm-hmm. Hi there, may I help you? You're on the air. You're right. Hi there, may I help you?
1: Yes, sir. good evening. Uh, Mr. Shepard. I wonder if I might ask uh, just a general question. Listening to you tonight, I uh, was amazed at the tremendous outpouring of creative activities that you've been involved in. And my one thought was uh, that I'd want to ask you simply, do you ever have trouble, or um, first of all, do you ever have trouble giving it up to put this kind of output out? You've got to, it's like you must be feeding a furnace of various media that you've got to especially a radio program for ideas and so forth. I wonder how you regulate your energies and if you have any secrets and so forth. You uh,
0: Well, I'll tell you, uh, uh, here, uh, that you're see. asking a very difficult question, and I can only say that it comes from uh, from approaching your work as a professional. I think that, that the amateur tends to think that everything is done in the white-hot heat of, of a consuming... Uh, creative uh, inspiration and uh, this is not true Uh, a a real professional and John can agree with me on this approaches his work as that and he works at it he really does he works at it I work at my work uh, most of my waking hours in other words when I'm when I'm writing I think about my writing all the time and I work at it uh, I How many hours a
1: day, for example, would you spend, uh, perhaps, at a typewriter or a recorder? Well, uh, I'd be curious. I
0: when I'm when I'm working seriously writing, I will write. I, I, all my writing is done at night. I will write from about midnight to maybe six in the morning, and I will work. Uh, for example, when I when I was putting the finishing touches on uh, In God We Trust, as an example, uh, I worked on that book. Steadily two or three to four nights a week for about two years. I don't know. Work seven nights a week. When I was when my deadline for publishing was coming up, I was working on that book. John remembers when I was working on it. Yes. I was working on that book at the station. I would leave the station sometimes at 8 o'clock in the morning after Yes, but you would always have a corned beef sandwich from upstairs. That's right. (coughs) That's quite true. I'd come up, John would be having a show upstairs, and I would be working in my office downstairs, and I would come up about 2.30 in the morning... When John, I, I would have the monitor on in my in my office, and I'd hear John say, "We're going to take a coffee break." And I would jump in the elevator, run up, and grab a corned beef sandwich. That's right, John, and, and I, it was my break. Yeah, I had some coffee, and then I'd go back down. And I would leave the station usually around uh, old nine ten o'clock that morning, which meant that I was putting in about uh, on writing alone, roughly. I mean, the physical act of writing about twelve hours a day, on an average of six to seven days a week.
1: Well, Gene, does that just mean that uh, it agrees with you? I mean, did you feel you felt good on that schedule, or did you feel drained? or? Uh...
0: Well, I I find that when I'm really working, I feel up. I don't feel tired. I, I, I feel excited. I feel like I want to get back at it, and I resent the fact that my body will get tired.
1: I see.
0: And uh, I, will, I, I can hardly keep... Uh, I'll wake up uh, after sleeping an hour... And I uh, get more ideas, and I try to write again. Thank you. I see you've <laughs> given up smoking again. Oh, yeah, I don't... I never really was a smoker. Well, you got hung for a while. No, I only on that. a pipe. I oh, never that. smoked cigarettes in my life. Really? Never. No, chewed tobacco a lot. Mm. You know, spit a lot. When you were at the White Sox? Yeah, I uh, chewed tobacco and a lot uh, of other things. But, but, All uh, right. Uh, yeah. We'll take another call. Four eight nine one one five five. Hi there. May I help you? Good morning. Good morning. I want to speak to um. What's the gentleman's name? The writer. Yeah, the writer. Okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, I know. Not, I listen to him every night. I just right now I just turned on the computer. Yeah. Um, I want to ask him a question. He can answer for me. Last night, or the no, night before last. You were discussing about uh, some years ago when you and a group of boards were doing some work on some equipment. And right in the middle of the best part of it, some of my equipment broke down, and I never did find out what was under that class, what was under it. Well, you're just going to have to ask your friends about that story, because I never repeat the rest of the story. You know, almost every night, five, five listeners will write in and say, uh, my radio went out in the middle of the story. Please tell the rest of it to me privately uh, over the my phone. My radio didn't go out. I just had to sit down and go, Well, that was your, that's, that's, uh, I was working. That's your loss. Most people that I know this time of night are not l- after listening to radio. That's right. You, I you, you booted me. another one. I got a hunch what he was working on, but what you were describing. No, nope, you booted another one. And, uh, I got a hunch he was working on a, min, a, a mini scope deal, even an oscillator, nope. an oscillating ring, that nope. had to do with TV. Nope. It had nothing to do with television. You've been drinking again. Oh, boy. <laughs> because I know I listened, to, I listened to it closely, and I was going okay. over some papers. Well, thank you, you for calling anyway. And I had right. G- right there. Thank you. Hi there. May I help you?
1: Yes, do uh, you think that the um, the water pressure comes out the faucets and it goes downhill into the airplane engine, comes out, and things come
0: out? Hi there, may I help you? Uh, Long John? Yes, sir. let uh, I speak to Mr. Pepper, please? Yes, he's listening to you. Uh Dean? Yeah. Uh, I want to tell you, I'm enjoying your uh, reading your book now. I'm enjoying it very much, uh, more especially since uh, you're reading it to me. I guess you understand what I'm talking about. I think I do. I guess. Yeah. Are you going to put uh, your other books on talking, with, talking books? Oh, I see what you mean. Yes, of course. Uh, you're. You're. Are you sightless, sir? Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I see. And you're. You're talking about reading my book on uh, on talking books. On talking books that was in God We Trust. All oh, of us pay yeah. cash. Very good, in fact. Thank you. Uh, I did record that for them and. Uh, there's been a lot of people ask me about Wanda Hickey, which oh, was I my, enjoy that very much, and uh, also my current book. But I have not yet uh, been approached by the American Foundation for the Blind, and I would suggest uh, that as a sightless person, you write to them and uh, make your wants known. You know, I'd love to do it. Yeah, and more especially, it makes it good because I like the way you read it. Well, thank you, sir. It's, uh, it's very interesting. You know, it's amazing how many sightless people read uh, contemporary literature through the uh, books for the blind. Yeah. Talking books. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, you, you sir. Get yeah. in touch with them and tell them, okay? Bye. Hi there. May I help you? Uh, yes, please. Oh, do I want to get some information? You uh, we were discussing the horse race and the calculator or something. Here I'm sorry. That is a commercial, and I cannot discuss that at this time because that means that I'd have to give equal time to every other sponsor. Oh, I didn't know it was a commercial. I, I can't. Yes, the, now, if you'd, you'd like, business all business. you have to do is to send your name and address to me, and we'll send you a brochure. On, on that particular... That? That's right, ma'am. So, so, so I mention horse racing or uh, Mention KELCO, K-E-L-C-O. K-E-L-C-O. All right, there. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi there, may I help you? You're going to lose your call. Hi there, may I help you? May uh, I speak to Jim? Yes. Jim, uh, my brand just was ahead of me to... I answered one question about the blind man the recording, but I have one more. Has, has anyone approached you about making a uh, record of uh, your juice harp playing? <laughs> no, they haven't. You're the best juice harp player in the United States without a doubt. Well, thank you, but no one's approached me. How would I go about getting some pressure on that one? Is there well, no Is there ever <laughs> I don't really know. I mean, I'm glad you like my juice harp playing, and I love playing it, but... Uh, uh, I would really love to do uh, Gene Shepherd plays. Uh, uh, I have several things I'd like to play. For example, I'd like to I'd like to do a lot of Merle Haggard tunes. Right. You know Merle Haggard's work? Yes. Man, he's great. Mm. And uh, I would really love to do it to a Jew's harp album. No one's approached me. Nobody has. Well, I'll have to see if I can generate some kind of steam someplace because we've got to have a recording of you. Throw a couple of bombs in the right place. Very good. Thank right. you. Thank you. You know, I don't know what I have in my... Do you know Peter Dean Snake Hips, who sings? You can't do head something with a voice, can you? Sure. You can? Absolutely. Will you do one? Now? Oh, yeah. well, I don't feel like it now. Not now. Huh? No, my head isn't in condition tonight. I, I, uh... That's great, what we did with uh, Bud Freeman. You remember that night? Yeah. Bud was a wonderful guy. <coughs> That Great musician, by the way. Always, yeah. Oh, just marvelous. Yeah, that was some night I, I uh, of course, you know, John, when I'm, when I'm about to do serious head thumping, I prepare my head for a good ten days before I work. I realize that, yeah. Neatsfoot oil. Neatsfoot oil. I, have, I soak a malaria in Neatsfoot oil, and I keep my head well soaked. Mm-hmm. And uh, by the night of the concert, I'm ready to go. Yeah, that, that is after you, tuning. You know, yeah. Have you done any other keys? I know for a while you were playing, I think, an E flat or E, I was thinking. Oh, I have. A, I, uh, I can play it Can you transpose, four, too? too? Oh, yes, yes, I see. I sight read, too. That's marvelous. Just marvelous. Yeah. Have you ever tried massaging the knees for a while? Massaging it into the head? You no. Know, usually in a counterclockwise uh, That's manner. That's not, uh, not recommended, and it's not an accepted practice among... Mm-hmm. Uh, serious cop spielers Uh, because for one thing the the head, you know uh, due to erosion and due to weather conditions uh, being subjected to sun and rain and and dry quality and conditions develops uh, millions of minute cracks which cause the head to become somewhat mushy in tone so if you do need your head, uh, you know, you, I'm serious. if you do need your head or if you, you massage the need for the oil in your head, it tends to produce what we call an uneven tone, which is to say that your head, your head has, has, has a certain specific series of tones due to the uh, difference of uh, specific gravity from one part of the to the other. you disturb that relationship if you. You see what I was I was contemplating. I just say don't do it. The hair follicles would absorb the for oil. No, and then you would have a intermolecular barrier, which would permeate the sound a little bit better. A bald cop uh, spieler is a rare head thumper, uh, and the hair follicles, uh, the person who has hair on his head, this is part of the of the uh, instrument. Have you ever heard him? Did you hear me play? I uh, was in the control room when Mr. Shepard performed for me. That's right. And I was... Uh, with yeah. Bud Freeman? I don't recall. Bud Freeman is a yeah. tenor man with the world's greatest no, band band. No, I think Mr. Shepard was alone. Well, I was alone that night, except that I played with a record of his. Yeah, no, possibly. I accompanied a record that night. No. Absolutely great. Well, it's, a, it's, a, it's a difficult art. I've almost uh, I've almost given up the art itself because of public approbation. Uh, there are very few people who practice this uh, art. Well, uh, understandably, because uh, they're subjected to constant ridicule. Now, take uh, Danny Bergauer. In their percussion department at Manny's Music Shop on West 48th Street, they have a, I guess you'd call it a beret or... A, some type of cap for those who still had some. Yeah, there are. And they any. use a distilled meat for off. No, you don't use the the uh, kind of juice. The raw, the not for the it. shoe. The raw Neats foot No, it's. Uh, I I think personally, since this uh, subject has come up, I think that there are certain uh, instruments that go through a, a a rise or fall. It's almost a wave of popularity. For yeah. example, very few people play banjos today. A few years ago, John remembers that a banjo was, uh, you know, a big deal. I still carry a tenor. That's right. And, and nobody asked you to play it. No. If nope. anything, they were they were resented when you attempt to play it. That's right. Uh, we're living... Uh, see, instruments go through... Uh, for example, a few years ago, the, the, the trumpet was a very popular instrument. This is during the days of of uh, Harry James, uh, these people. Now the trumpet is just relegated to the background, that's all. Uh, and the head, <coughs> as an instrument, the uh, what they call the Art of Kopfspielen, which is a German art, was actually popular in the late 1790s. And it went down after that, it's never to come back. It's like playing the sackbut today. If you... If you're a great sack butt artist, you're not going to get much many calls from Wokalato, too. I know most people who uh, do practice this do use the for oil, mm-hmm. but I they was do. wondering if perhaps linseed oil or cottonseed oil could be used. I doubt it very much because you're talking about revisionism, uh, and I agree that, uh, that this is a constant attempt. You see, there's no reason to, to, to attempt to improve on, on uh, perfection. Uh, I, I see no reason why to substitute l- linseed oil for one thing. For one thing, linseed oil is it's less expensive. That's true, but that's like substituting uh, wool with varnish for the elegant shellac and, and lacquer that is used on a Stradivarius. Uh, if you're serious about your instrument, you're not going to worry about things like a few cents for the needs of the oil. I mean, I uh, I just think that's ridiculous. Oh, I'm really sorry that you're not prepared tonight. Possibly I should have alerted you. I wish years. you had. I yes. would have been delighted. It's just marvelous, Joe Franz. You should hear him play. No, I really do, Joe. Now, Joe, this. So, well, tonight, Joe, I'll tell you, uh, uh, John. If John and I can get together, I'll. You bring your tenor banjo in. I'd love to play uh, duets with you. You are also, you're playing kazoo and Jews, huh? Right. Yeah. I also crack knuckles beautifully. Uh-huh. Do you know Don Baines? Mm, the yeah, writer? No. Sure. Well, Don, you know, is is doing a gig tomorrow uh, at the Roosevelt Hotel uh, with the executives who play jazz on Friday afternoons uh-huh. On Vibes? Yeah, Vibes, yeah. He plays Vibes. Yeah, very good, too. Yes. Very well. He's he's an excellent uh, vibra Isn't it uh, a difficult instrument? Uh, of course, there's an example of an instrument that's <coughs> gone uh, out of style, is the marimba, the yes. xylophone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so instruments have their period of popularity and then they disappear. Uh, and unfortunately, the head is in decline. I, I uh, I'm often greeted with shouts and catcalls. When I attempt to perform and I just simply is own. it true that there's an organization for the uh, uh, for the uh, total elimination well there we might as well be it certainly okay. I've suspected that for the preservation of human heads in pristine condition it's been more yahoo is yelling at me whenever I try to play uh, I, I think this uh, if, for example the decline of the accordion has been precipitous uh the great days of Dick Contino uh, uh, now the accordion is only seen in occasional Polish dances in Passaic and that's, uh, that's from the side a very sad decline you've, that you've seen that uh, John yes I've noticed that you know that's I of course, know that was a well deserved decline I think well, no, I was, I was never happy, happy with the accordion. <laughs> As a matter of I, fact, I've become actively unhappy. Do you know what instrument has made a fantastic comeback? Is a tambourine. Well, that's the only oh, instrument to play. That's yeah. why everybody... The easier the instrument... Without a want, head. That's right. You just rattle it. Just, <laughs> just the rim. It's like playing rim shots. <laughs> it is. Rim shots are extremely difficult, John. No. By the way, you know what has declined in popularity? Speaking of the tambourine, uh, a few years ago, you could, uh, you, you could be, you'd be knee-deep in bongos uh, on any village street. And, and the bongos have now quietly drifted in the direction of the pawn shops on 4th Avenue. And today, uh, it's almost impossible to even give away a bongo. Do you remember a few years ago when the bongo was a big deal? Let me remind you, this is Dialogue Radio 57, WMCA, right here in New York City. You better take any call more at? calls? Uh, in another few minutes. Okay. I'm just going to get myself a cup of coffee, with your permission now. Oh, thank you, John. Uh, um, you know, uh, it's interesting, uh, that the mind has, uh, plays interesting tricks with you. A listener called up before and mentioned, uh, as one of the American humorists, Bret Hart, and immediately—he's no humorist to begin with. Well, this is what the listener said. Yeah. Immediately into my mind came uh, the Outcasts of Poker Flats, yeah. which was a movie in 1952 with Dale Robertson. Did you know that 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 uh, that Mark Twain and Bret Hart, in the last uh, years of their lives, had had a great feud going uh-huh. and that they had been great friends earlier in their life and uh, very interesting differences of opinion Mark Twain felt that Bret Hart never really wrote about the West he wrote about Bret Hart's mind <laughs> nothing to do with the West <laughs> and there's some truth to that I think uh-huh. there's a great uh, craze today for nostalgia this is I'm afraid a, that's true, and I think that's a very with, sick. Scene. Uh, Bob Smith and Howdy Doody, and this whole thing. Why do you think people uh, are interested in this nostalgia thing? I I've had a lot of theories about that, and i I find it uh, I find it one of the saddest things of our time. Uh, that. that uh but to me, the, the idea that uh, that people keep reliving their childhood, uh, is, I find very sad. Now, people who don't really read my work and understand what I'm doing tend to think that I'm in that bag. No way. In fact, uh, almost every scene that I tell out of a hypothetical childhood is an anti-nostalgia bit where the kids lose. They live in a world that's polluted. Uh, in the steel mill world as you recall from uh, In God We Trust whereas in, to the nostalgist uh, uh, there were nothing but blue skies just a few years ago all streams were lovely uh, there were no beer cans floating uh, offshore and uh, to me the nostalgist is a nostalgist is a very sad person a guy that's hung on this stuff well there's a uh, as you said the uh, now, as an a, I don't think it's the same as a popular historian. You can honestly be... Well, I think there's a there's a difference between a popular historian and a person who is uh, trying to uh, go back and collect the comic books of his youth. Well, uh, you know, one of the saddest characters I ever saw, it was really a fascinating thing that happened to me one night, Alan. I, I was up in Boston... And uh, a friend of mine said, oh, you know, this guy you'd like to meet. And I said, well, why? You know, why? He said, well, just wait. And uh, he made a phone call, and so we went over to this guy's apartment. It was unbelievable. Walk into the door of the apartment, and, and from the background, I heard the strange sounds. and this guy greets us at the door, and we walk in, And his apartment had no windows at all to begin with, which was kind of interesting. It was like a cell, a curious uh, capsule of some kind. And and I walked in, and on the table, there was a coffee table right there in the middle of the room. It was a very well-done apartment, but on the coffee table, I see a whole pile of magazines, and they were all fanned out. These are the magazines the guy was reading. I couldn't believe what I'm seeing. He had a whole collection of of life magazines of the 30s on his his uh, coffee table in the background in the just playing the guy never even mentioned it in the background you hear this endless tape of fred allen shows going uh, the tinny little squeaky sounds uh, all around on his walls all around his walls are pictures of uh of Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland and Indy Hardy movies and this guy literally every day when he got home from whatever it is he worked at would would retreat into this room and live in this strange world of, of, uh, of Glenn Miller music well I think he certainly had a problem well, well that's why my friend took me over there he says you've been fascinated by this guy and, and uh, it, was, it, was, it was really a scary scene uh, did you ever go back to your hometown? Have no interest in it, none at all. No, I, I well, I've been there because my you know I have relatives living out there, but I, I don't really feel uh, my home is New York. I, I honestly feel that this is my home, and I I don't uh, I don't think of. Uh, of course, I, I I grew up in a steel mill town. It's very hard to have a feeling of uh, warmth and nostalgia over a, over a blast furnace. A Bessemer converter. A Bessemer converter, then. Yeah. By the way, the Bessemer converter no longer exists. Uh, the, the blast furnace is what really is dominates the horizon out there. But uh, I've never felt, even at the time I was living in the steel mill world, uh, of, you know, the northern Indiana mill towns, I, uh, I didn't have any feeling of involvement, really. I enjoyed it, the, you know, just like it's where I lived and... I've always enjoyed wherever I live, really. Well, I, I know I've... I think it's a very bad thing to go back and see reality because you always build up in your mind a certain picture of what your past was. You know, the You're, mind's the opposite. When I go back to to, uh, to Hammond, Indiana, for example, I find that the place is much better looking than I remember it. How do you like that? Uh that, that uh, I remember a lot more blast furnace dust in the air than I found the last time I was out there. <laughs> so I, I, I just don't take myself as a typical, really, because I know that most guys tend to glorify their past. And uh, I, I guess for some biological reason, I've never been able to do that. With regard to your radio program, when you begin an evening, do you have uh, notes written regarding certain thoughts? I don't know. Or, uh, or are you just no. going ad lib? Well, it's not really. Uh, don't confuse ad lib with lack of preparation. In other words, uh, when I go in to do a show, I know exactly what I'm going to do. And, and I've thought it out for sometimes as, as long as two or three weeks in advance. I've thought about a show over and over again, a show that I want to do a specific thing. When the day comes that I go in to do it, I know exactly what I'm about to do. I never do anything off the cuff. Several years ago, I believe you did a show at Carnegie Hall. Several years ago, was, it was New it was, Year's it was, Eve. It was three mm-hmm. months ago, oh, and I confess my ignorance. I didn't see the advertisements. Didn't no, I, one, uh, I thought it was around the New Year's Eve time. That was the, you're talking about. Town hall was done two years ago. Yeah, New Year's Eve. Oh, uh, do you enjoy those one-man? Oh, hours? absolutely. Uh, to me, I I love uh, performing. On stage, and I do a great deal of that, Alan. Yeah, right. you may mention you do concerts yeah. with, uh, with colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you find the college kids very receptive? Well, they uh, they invite me over there. I don't go there and then ask them to come to see me. It's the other way around. I'm I'm invited to come, and and uh, the arrangements are made, and I play there. So they must be receptive. Yeah, I think so. In fact, I think I think they're the greatest audience that I have today. Uh, there's a uh, a perhaps a, a false stereotype that the college students today are very concerned with worldly problems, uh, uh, pollution, environmental uh, p- problems. Are. uh uh They are uh, overpopulation, etc. Do you think they are totally? Uh, concerned and totally committed, or are they like any, any other generation in growing up? Oh, well, I, I uh, that's a loaded question. I don't think any, any generation is like any other generation. You see, I don't believe in the generational theory either, in that I don't think that, that people in any given time have much in common with each other. In other words, I grew up with a lot of people, a lot of kids, who were not at all like me, who didn't think the way I thought and have not behaved the way I thought. So how could I say that I shared much with my generation? We have an idea that everybody is in these neat little groups uh, called generations, and that these generations are like uh, ladybugs. Well, they all... have bands that run this way and some have <laughs> Yeah, but there's this mythical character, uh, the average person, the average man. We just, as I said, it, I, I stated he's a mythical person, right. and there is a mythical generation, uh, because you will find in any Because see, I think if if people were as alike as as people tend to try to think they are, that's really putting them down. You, you know, it, that's a real put-down. All these uh, statistics with averaging. Uh, It was in today's paper, the first ratings regarding Jack Parr and Johnny Carson and and, uh, the late movie, Nationwide, and each of them had figures. And I added it up and it came out to 85%, which meant that 15% of the population who, who was watching TV at that time was watching something else. And I was just wondering what the heck the other program was. Because to me, my mind, 15% of a, of a population, of a viewing population, is rather significant. Well, it could be scattered among a lot of shows, you know. We forget that there's three or four channels on. That's just two. Yeah, but <laughs> in the majority of America, there aren't more than three channels in a particular viewing area. Well, a lot of them don't even carry these shows. It might surprise you to know that that uh, yeah. that that in many areas ABC that the Jack Parr show isn't carried. They have a a. a, a media. Have you seen Jack Parr since he started Yeah, him? I'm I'm very disappointed with this show. I think I think. Uh, do you I mean, think he's changed or do you think the times have changed? I think both. Uh, I think, I think if, uh, all this business of these constant home movies of lions get to be awful boring after a while. Right? Wouldn't you say that when he first started his return, uh, he was very nervous. That was quite evident. And I think he uh, he didn't exactly decide on what his format was going to be. No, he tried to please everyone, and he, uh, he it, it was very segmented. Well, I like Jack personally. I used to be on the Jack Parr show, That's if you right. remember, I, I, when Jack Parr was at his very peak. And in fact, one night on the air, I'll never forget it, Parr, uh, when he was about to leave, Parr suggested on the air that I take over the show. Because uh, it was kind of funny that we had a big palaver back and forth, but I felt that, that what I've seen of Parr's work, I think that there's too many fingers in the pie. I have I, I have that feeling that he's taking suggestions from a lot of people, and perhaps because he's been out of the you know out of the limelight for so long, he uh, he doesn't have the kind of confidence that he should have. It's like it's like you take a, a major league ball player. Uh, Tom Seaver knows what he's going to do when he walks out on the mound. He doesn't take suggestions. And I think the Parr, watching Parr's show, I, I just, I'm just inclined to wonder what all this stuff is about all these endless uh, badly shot movies of Parr standing around with lions walking around him. Well, I think also any man who gets out of the business for a while and goes back and he's bucking against uh, a lot of guys that are doing the same gig that he is a little nervous. Yeah, mean, but there was a you were on top, you want to walk right in. and John, be on top. John there was a thing that Jack Parr did, uh, which nobody has done since on those t- on those late night shows, and I think was one of the secrets of his success. And that is, Parr had great courage in putting on the air people who were virtually unknown to the public right. and spending Allie hours with King. John, give me right. I, mean, I was not known to the great man. Good Goodman, all kinds of people. But now there is a seri- there is actually within the business an okay. official official guest list. Yeah. So they go back and forth. Jaja Gabor tonight is over on Johnny Carson. The next night she's on the Jack Parr show. The night after that she's on this show. If I see Phyllis Dilly once more, I think I'll do what Dorothy Parker always said, I think I'll flow up. And and endlessly, these people go around and around. And uh, and strangely enough, Parr has had those same people on his shows. Yeah, but I haven't seen Goldie Hawn uh, that that often. And he had her on the first night in the interview, I thought, was delightful. Well, may I say this, Alan? Goldie Hawn, though, is a recognized TV personality. What I'm trying to say is that he used to have people who were not recognized in any field. But Uh, they were great. Yeah, in other words... He he wouldn't have had a Goldie Hawn on a few years ago. He would have had a guy he met in the bar that night, Alec King. Uh, he would have had. And now uh, we, we we're, we're so oriented to the to the official celebrity now that we say, well, now wasn't it wonderful he had the Gregory Peck on the other night? Now I haven't seen Gregory Peck <laughs> now. That is what made Parr's show a dynamic. Yeah, but, dynamic yeah, yeah, but if you, if if you recall the first night he brought over the the uh, doctor who played uh, the kid brother in Goodbye, Columbus, I've never seen him before on TV. Uh, he, he's he been out of show business for a while. He, in fact, the New York Times he... liked him. They thought he was delightful. May I say this, Alan? You notice it is a showbiz guy. In other words, he was an actor. But the thing that made Parr so interesting uh, earlier is that he would bring in people who were not involved in showbiz, and 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 get and, and ultimately they became that because they, he used them a lot. Alec King was not in showbiz, was nope. he, John? Absolutely not. All right, John. What you should do now, I think you should suggest to Mister Parr, Al Watman. I think that would... Well, that's crazy. the kind of stuff he would have done in uh, yeah. 10 years. That's right. Now you're hitting it. John's, the, the success of John's show, I've often made this point about John. John and I have been old friends, and and uh, I've, I've constantly, and even in classes where I've been teaching, they ask, what about the success of, of John's show, which has had a dynamic success in New York for years? And I said, it's because John realizes... That the official celebrity has been seen so often and heard so often that he's no longer really interesting, and that he has put the Al Lottmans on. I have my own celebrity. He has his own, and he builds his own, and they're they're entirely uniquely John's. Just the way in the early days when Parr was on, Parr had a group of people who were uniquely Parr. Cliff Arquette. Right, uh, all these strange people that he was ha- he had on his show, which were very strange to to the audience. They loved it, but then uh, slowly the showbiz began to creep in. William Morris made it, you know, made it uh, raised its ugly head. That's right. And uh, and today it's almost impossible to get booked on a TV show like Carson or Parr unless you've gone. got a good. He's got a good producer though. Unless you've made a movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, unless you've written a best-selling smash hit, which is, by the way, going to be played by Joanne Woodward, uh, unless you... <laughs> and I'm down the line, and it's it, it, it's become universally boring because these, you know, they just keep going from show to show. Well, we have a few minutes uh, left. Shall we take one or two more questions? Sure, one okay. minute. Hey, you were laughing at something in my book over there. What was it? I'm just curious. Pardon me. What what part of the book were you last? You were at? discussing uh, the the old time catalog, Johnson. Oh yeah. And you were discussing. You, you conclude your paragraph by saying its importance is, and I'm paraphrasing, yeah. you, of course. Your, its importance to American culture is almost as akin to that of Ro- of the Rosetta Stone. Yeah. And I thought uh, it, it was you. Do you have the, the Johnson catalog, the one that was sold for a quarter? No, no, I'm talking about the one that sold for $10. Sure, I wrote the preface to that. Oh, you did? Yeah. <laughs> that is uh, what, you, what he's reading. Yeah. That, that's a great, great catalog. <laughs> yeah. Let's take another call, 489-1155. Hi there, may I help you? Hello, uh, Longtime? Yes, sir. Uh, let me turn down the radio, okay? Please do that. Thank you.
1: Hello, oh, Mister Shepard? Uh, Shepherd.
0: Yeah, I'm here.
1: I just wanted to say I'm going to buy your book, and uh, I was wondering on your radio shows, do you are they uh, do you read a script on those?
0: <laughs> uh, no, I do not.
1: Uh, you do it all right out of your head.
0: I do it right out of that head. Oh, that's fantastic. I just grab a hold of my head before the show and I start to squeeze. Oh. And it comes out, right, John? Right. Oh, <laughs> uh, and, uh, John? Yes, sir? About Show last night. Yes, I know. I've heard about it. Yeah, especially since you had it coming, because you see his pompous and his nose was so high up in the air, it like somebody just had to push it down a little further. Okay, thank you. Okay. Thank fine. you right. very much. Hi there. May I help you? Yes, Mr. Shepard, please. Yes. yes, he's listening. Um, Mr. Shepard, just pains me to ask you this, because I've been admiring of yours. I've kept up with your career through the years and uh, it seems to me you developed a little ego problem oh so I have I, I agree uh, terrible just tooting your own horn it's getting me down it certainly does it bothers me too no I mean you, you deserve a lot of credit but I mean you're constantly infusing that into your show and name dropping and all this well I'm just rotten I've gone bad. Hi there, may I help? you? Long John? <laughs> yes. Oh, let me set the radio down. Yeah, thank you. It's right here. Good, good, All good. Do right. they now, get feedback? I would like to... No, th- it's the delays, is Father. ...issue before about the hard covered books and the baby yeah, yeah, go ahead, the lady. And, uh, well, I'll tell you the truth. I think a lot has to do with people living in small apartments. Could yes, be. I had to get rid of a lot of books. I sent them to the veterans' hospital. I sent them to the Simmons. You know, the hardcover books. Yes. So now I ended up buying paperbacks, And if anyone wants to make an album, whatever are going to throw them up.
1: books <laughs> the
0: hardcover book you're not about to throw out. You're right. You know, you know it means too much. No, I think you're right. Uh, that's that's that is a definite factor. Well, I think that's what it is. Well, there's a little no more to it than that, though. Uh, uh, but uh, that's Yeah, true. We have the room to keep them. Yeah, but some it's people what do I live. Did. Well, what about a person who lives in a very large house and never buys Oh, them? that's what it is. Well, that's what I mean. A lot of people. But I do. think, uh, I, like myself, I think most of us, we love to read, but we don't have the room. You know, hey, keep, thank- you know, good books. All right. Thank you. Hi there, may I help you? You're on the air. You're off the air. Hi there, may I help you? <laughs> <laughs> there goes another one Hi there, may I help you? coming out Hi, long John. Yes, Yes, he's listening to Hey, James, didn't you play an issue called The nose Sleep I Wanted to. Yeah. I thought I thought was the greatest You don't play it much, though. Well, Martha B. stole that thing Oh, Yes, she did And uh, then there was a course of a scuffle on her show I think it was with Avril Harriman, it got broken
1: replaced.
0: Yeah, well, they're very rare. That's a Polynesian nose flute. <laughs> that is not a homotone, which is... Uh, I see. Which uh, the slobs tend to confuse. You gotta you gotta take you gotta part of the canoe way out to the South Sea Islands. You get one, huh? Well, I did have one, but it's uh, unfortunately gone the way of a lot of things. That's too bad. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I enjoyed your shelves. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right. Good night. All right. Bye, buddy. On that note, we're going to wrap it up, including Shepherd's head. <laughs> and I trust that the next time you come over, Gene, that you uh, will prepare yourself. I'll, I'll be ready. Prepared. I'll bring my performing head. That's right, because we, we do want to hear uh, the head something. I'm just wearing my working head tonight. I'll bring my real concert head. You know, I notice that you have your hairstyle differently tonight, but when you do head something, it's... it's uh, I don't know. It, I guess your hair is... a semi-circular type of hair. Because oh, right it's different. entirely different than you normally when you're performing as a head. Tonight it's just sort of hanging down, right? Huh? Yeah. So, so, it's so is mine. Yeah. So is mine. I have to get over to Rommel tomorrow. What is that on your head? It's called the Serial Bowl. Is that on there? Yeah. Oh, I see. Very yeah. yeah. nice. Yes. What is it sir? Uh, if you just open up your mic, I could hear you. Uh, my head is oh, yeah, uh, it's, uh, it's uh, no, he's playing now, instead of 440, 442. 442, which makes it just a trifle on the sharp side, and I think that Bernstein was the first one that suggested uh, that type of tuning. It's just a little more brilliant then the standard 440 now if you play vibes your vibes are tuned to 440 but however the new ones put out by musser now are tuned if you want if you special order them that they are 442 yes thank you very much thank you As a head matures it tends to sharpen too it really does yes that i never knew what, what do you think? Do you think it's 441 or 442? About 442, About 442. 443, depending on the humidity. But yeah. yeah. well, then how how can you blend in uh, in a symphony if they're tuned to 440, that is, if the piano is tuned to 440? There are some nights nice, it's difficult. Uh, you try to flatten the note? Hmm. Yep. Difficult. Uh, you try to flatten the note? Hmm. You have to compensate with, uh, with what they call... Uh, your embouchure, I see. So you have to compensate for that. It's just like uh, a violinist will discover sometimes in the middle of a uh, in the middle of a per, uh, performance of a symphony, right. actually, or, or a concerto, right. that his instrument will go out of tunes right especially if it's a fresh string that's right and so he will compensate them actually by manipulation that's the same thing as a soprano sax the soprano sax you tune it and it's out of tune in another short moment have you ever reframinated your head have i had it reframinated yeah no i have what what we call a natural head which is which is a non-framinated head i do not use any filters uh, I don't... You do, never use uh, do filter? Never. I do not use the, the uh, charcoal refractory yes. technique. for uh, me. On that note, let me remind you that Alan Cornett has been with us and Jean Shepard. And we thank you very much, June, for coming over. It's been great, as usual. Thank you. And my very best to leave. I see. A lovely, oh, lovely, lovely lady. She's one of your oldest friends. Yes, I know. She's a delightful person, too. On that note, may I remind you, we'll be back again tonight at midnight. I hope that you'll be along. Say, Saturday night, we'll have Peter Dean with us, Cy Oliver, uh, we'll have Murray Becker, uh, Bob Carson, and Lillian Clark of the famous Clark Sisters. It's going to be a goodie, so be right with us. And don't forget, uh, Monday morning from 4.30 to 5.30, the Candy Jones Show with long-term level assisting. Now, the great Ken Fairchild. First, may I remind you that this is a WMCA right here in New York City.